You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Remaining standing, the gospel according to St. John, the 8th chapter, beginning with the first verse, a story well known to us all. While Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. What do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, do not sin again. And again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, illuminating the pathway of our years. Your word is the the tall lighthouse on the sandy shoal, protecting us from the trials and dangers and temptations of this troublesome life. Your word is the steady north star, guiding our journeys from earth to heaven. Be now in its preaching and in its hearing, giving us vision of your glory, setting our hearts on fire with love for your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. And thank you, Andrew, for such a warm welcome. It's good to be back ministering with you. I owe this man a great deal. For when we were in ministry together uh, in Beaufort, I had come there as a widower. My wife had died. And I, um, there was a woman at Woodbury Forest School, the librarian there, that uh, I came to, to, to see as a possibility of uh, something else, you know. And so there was a bit of talk around. And, and uh, uh, he came to me and he said, I've checked with some of my Woodbury friends. They all think Mrs. May is just absolutely fantastic. Don't hesitate. And I didn't. And here we are together. Here we are together. So then, let there be light. John 8, verse 12. But another passage, rather familiar to us, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters, and God said, What did he say? Let there be light. 
For 20 years, uh, we have been going to East Africa. I and a mission work there, taking American young people, joining them with Ugandan young people, taking them together to the bush to install solar equipment in schools and clinics, hospitals, church facilities. My son is an electrical engineer. His specialty is alternative energy, solar, and he's the engineer behind all of this. And so this is what we were involved in. And with co the completion of every new installation, I would then gather the people and address them. You all know your Bible. In the beginning, God said, what did he say? And comes back the reply, let there be light. In the name of him who said, I am the light of the world, turn on the lights, and then breaks out the singing and dancing, Tuku ten Teresa Yesu, literally mean praise the Lord. And the lights are turned on, and that which had been dark, now bright with solar light generated by the power of the sun, by the grace of him who in the beginning said, let there be light. I understand a more accurate translation of these opening verses of the Bible could go like this. When God began to create heaven and earth, and earth was a welter and a waste, and darkness was over the deep, and God breathed hovering over the waters, God said, let there be light. To put it plainly, there was a mess that God acted upon to make something wonderful, something beautiful and holy of it all, the gracious spirit of our Creator God. Uh, I am a man of rather senior years now, and uh, I spend a bit of time kind of looking back on my life, uh, trying to make sense of it a bit. You know, what has been the meaning of my years and my life and my ministry and uh, all the that which was good, and also that which was not so good, the welter and the waste, and seeking to make sense of it, what it's all meant. Are any of you in that place, kind of thinking back and seeing what your years have meant, what has been your life all about? Uh, for these two sermons appointed for me this Lenten season, Cathedral Church here in, in Birmingham, I want to talk about two things, light and water, light today and water tomorrow. When God began to create heaven and earth, God said, let there be light. Our thousandth installation in Uganda was a large Roman Catholic high school in the provincial city of Luaro, which is about oh, 200 miles north of the capital, Kampala. No, no reliable electricity there. And we were glad to install the solar to generate power, and through a generous gift from Rotary, we were able to provide computers for the library. And in cooperation with communications satellite, we were able to connect them with the Internet. And in this, the little ceremony of celebration, the head of the school remarked, now our students, they are very bright, and now they can compete with those at Kampala and we'll get the places that will advance their education. We're very grateful to God that you've brought us to light. But it was the bishop. His, his, his address to us, I'll never forget, he began. Once there was a man hurrying to get home before dark, running along the forest path. Too late, the sun went down, terrified, the night dancers, the evil spirits that haunt the woods at night, 
that invade the imaginations and passions of ordinarily gentle people, driving them to unspeakable acts of terror and violence in the darkness. The man, frightened, crutches down beside the path on the ground, arms overhead until the light of dawn. Another man, also hurrying to get home late. He hears the first, imagines a night dancer, also down on the ground, hands overhead, until the dawn when the light of the rising sun, he sees that they are brothers. You have brought us the light, the bishop said, the light that shields us from the night dancer who assault the souls of people, the light that dispels the darkness of superstition and fear, that defeats the power of ignorance and prejudice, that conquers the despair of sin and death. Because it is Christ Jesus, he is our light and our hope. It is he who by the power of his Holy Spirit has brought you this gracious blessing to us. Jesus, Jesus, that time in the temple. It is interesting, the setting of John's report of this teaching of our Lord that day in Jerusalem, the temple court, the court of the women. It, it was the day after, the last day of the feast, that this unfortunate compromised woman, the officials of religion, are bringing forth. You see, you see their concern, their, their very concern uh, that Jesus is leading the folks astray, that he's threatening the authority of the temple institution, that he's destabilizing the de delicate relationship with the Roman, the Roman uh, occupational government. He must be stopped. Yea, he must be discredited. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacles was a major joyful celebration of the covenant promises of God, God's blessing upon his people Israel. Uh, imagine 16 beautiful candelabras uh, standing in the court of the, woman, of the women. The temple was on a hill above the rest of the city, and the glorious glow of that light was for all the people to see. And in addition, the, the Levitical musicians played their harps and lyres and cymbals to make joyful music to the Lord. What a glorious celebration. The light was to remind the people of how God's Shekinah glory had once completely filled the temple. And Jesus came early that next morning. The 16 great lights from the night before had been extinguished but the people were there again and gathered quickly to hear more of Jesus' teaching. The scribes and the Pharisees are ready. They're ready for him. They have set a trap, a woman caught in the act of adultery, the very act. How they did that, I leave to your imagination. Well, fine teaker, teacher, the, the law of Moses says she should die. What say you? The people are watching. Now, what must be regarded is that all this is in plain sight of the citadel at the corner, the temple commons, the barracks of the Roman military contingent at the ready to put down any uprising of these highly excitable, more religious uh, than is good for any people, more 
in their holiest place, just after the close of their high celebration, the soldiers are watching. The people are watching. And Jesus bends down and writes something on the ground, the law from Leviticus, she shall be stoned. And then we read that he writes something else. And going on in that old book, the one who brings the charge must, must cast the first stone. It was the Roman law, you remember, that no one except Roman authority could exercise capital punishment. The soldiers are watching. The people are watching. And one by one, the accusers, the scribes, and the Pharisees slink away, utterly humiliated, but vehemently determined not to fail again, to crush this disturber of their authority, their order and office, and they will succeed. And it is apparent to the woman and to all watching that this one, this innocent one, had deliberately stepped between her and the just punishment for her sin at the cost of his own noble life. And Jesus addressed her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin again. Do you see? And see it well that here was displayed in the most intimate singularity the holy action that Jesus would accomplish on behalf of us all on the cross of Calvary, where he would step between us and the just penalty for our sins, even the sins of the whole world. Do you see that in the person of Jesus, God's glory was once again present in the temple and how Jesus used that celebration to announce that very fact. There he turned to the crowds to continue his teaching in the court of the women just after the feast, perhaps even standing right next to those magnificent candelabras when he declared to all who were gathered there, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Apostle John puts it this way, Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. A, a, a story to illustrate. Uh, when I was doing youth work, that was a few years ago, um, we had a weekend retreat with a, a group of high schoolers, and, uh, and we ran an exercise. The, the young director there ran this exercise. It was about light, the light of the world. And uh, we, we gathered the boys and girls in a large square room without any windows and without any furniture. Uh, now he said, we're going to turn off the lights and you just do whatever you want to do. <laughs> oh, cool. Excited anticipation, you can imagine. Lights out and it began. Laughing and jostling and groping, hubba hubbas and uh, gleeful streaks, sheiks, and, and all of that, and, and faux protests, exuberant pandemonium all over, lots of fun, lots of fun. 
and, and then something happened, and the whole tone changed. Someone tripped and fell, and others tumbling in a chaotic heap, screams of, screams of terror in the dark. Hey, hey, s somebody's down. This isn't funny. Holy, holy cow, someone, turn on the lights. And, and the youth leader, standing in the middle of the room, struck a single match to light a wick. And as the tiny flame illuminated the darkened gloom, the kids quietly disentangled themselves, helped each other to their feet, and almost unconsciously formed a circle, a circle facing one another, slowly turning, circling around the center point of light. No one lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel, Jesus said, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to the whole house. We traveled some very rough roads. Our solar light mission stayed in some very rough places. And one of the early trips, let me tell you about it, up early with a little fruit and bread for breakfast, long drive to a remote southwest frontier of the country, mountains, the impenetrable forest, the Belgian Congo beyond, uh, and uh, home to the tribes of pygmy peoples. Have any of you ever been there? It's absolutely beautiful. And there, there was a school run by the Anglican Church of Uganda. We went to install solar on the buildings to provide light for the students that they could study at night. And our teams went to work, the American kids, and there are African friends working side by side, ladders going up, the panels lifted up on the rooftops, and batteries and converters placed, and rooms wired, lighting fixtures hung from the ceilings and rafters. Bishop George conducted me on a tour of the school, and as the student body gathered at their opening formation, I was fascinated, absolutely fascinated to see sprinkled among the secondary school classes these very short boys and girls. 16, 17 years old they were. They were the pygmy children. And I said to him, a bishop, these people have been living in the forest for a millennium. Why are we taking their children out and subjecting them to an entirely foreign way of life? So foreign of that of their parents and their ancestors. And I'll never forget his reply. Oh, we are not taking them away from the forest. They're coming. The war in the Congo over there, the development over here, their parents want them to have a future in the modern world. And because Jesus loves them, we are giving them an education that will give them a chance. But, of course, the true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world, that enlightens every man, every man, every woman, every child, every race, every nation. He's got the whole world in his hands. We, we labored all day and with only the barest of lunch, and as the afternoon wore on and the storm clouds piled up the mountains, the rains came, torrential, scrambling to complete the work. We were exhausted. But it was, it was insisted that we travel back into the forest foothills to visit the pygmy home area. And it was a difficult track for the bus. We finally had to get off and follow a forest trail, spooky, in the gathering mist after the rain, a dense wood, till we came to a clearing. 
and there, two single-room cinder block houses erected by the government, transition facilities for the people used to living naked in the trees. And our Ugandan mission team had been there before to install some rudimentary lighting. The people wanted to greet us and bless the light. And these lovely little people, they were, they were all dressed in the most garish of odd clothes. Respect for us who are uh, not so comfortable with total nakedness. And as we prayed in the name of God who caused, who has created this light to come into their lives, and has given us his son, who is the light. We turned on the little lights which sparkled in the gathering gloom, and they began to sing and dance, enfolding us in their grateful enthusiasm. And though we could understand little of what they were saying, I gathered this much. You came all the way from America to bring us the light because Jesus has heard our prayers and called you, praise God, from whom all goodness come, praise, praise him, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Ghost, tuku tender Yesu. And I, I, I had to admit, I was a little miffed. It was we who brought the light. Why not thank us? Until I realized that we were the answer to their prayer. And it was the redemption of our poor souls that we would be used in this so gracious a mission. Do you understand? It was very frightening to walk back to the bus, hoping we would not lose anyone in the dark. The long drive to the church center where we were going to spend the night, hungry, tired, cold, and wet, grumpy, frightened, wondering how we were ever going to be accommodated and how we ever going to get home and why in the world had we ever signed on for this terrible trip. That day, that night, so long ago, finally pulling into the church mission compound and filling out of the bus to be greeted by the boys' brigade marching band with their old beat-up, battered instruments and African drums beating out a spiritual rendition of when the saints go marching in. And we danced and danced under a rising full moon into the equatorial night, our hearts bursting with joy upon joy, the eternal weight of glory. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, what I want you to see, this Lenten message, is the nature and power of light as an outward and physical expression of the inward and spiritual grace of God in Jesus Christ. That is the action of God, neither beginning nor ending, eternal, not ever, yet ever creating creative energy, moving upon the face of the deep, giving substance and form to welter and waste a match struck in a, struck in a dark room, discombobulated kids rising in gentle circle of redeeming light when the saints go marching in. Do you understand? In 1936, the American poet T.S. Eliot took an English country walk to the village of Little Gidding 
some of you may know the poem, one of the four quartets of Eliot. Well, and there he sat by a chapel built among the ancient orchard trees 300 years before the estate of Nicholas Farrar. He was a man made wealthy in the Virginia Company, a godly man who loved the word of God that proclaimed the Son of God, and there raised a rambunctious family and was so graciously generous to all the plain country folk round about. Now quiet, Eliot imagined the place where kings and commoners came to be refreshed in body and spirit, where prayer had been valid, the common rhythm of work and worship and children at play, Eliot wrote. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Aye, this is where we are, are we not? This discipline of Lent, whether old or young, in wonder and wonder about our lives, the gift of life, eternal life, the gift of life we share in the company of faith in him, in Jesus our brother and our friend, who is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end in whom, as the apostle taught us, was life, the life that was, that is, the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has never, nor shall it ever, overcome it. In the beginning, God said, what did he say? Let there be light. Tomorrow, water. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.